Well, good morning. Uh, man, Eric's pretty compelling. I was sitting there going, I want to volunteer. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I'm going to be tied up. Uh, but you're not. Uh, some of you aren't, are going to be free. Uh, so I hope that you will volunteer to go back and help out and uh, work with those kids because uh, they are not just the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today as well. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, we uh, provide this uh, additional kind of programming uh, that Eric has in mind for next week. But I'm glad you're with us today. Uh, last week we began talking a little bit about prayer, and I want to continue on that today and the power of prayer. And I told you last week about a guy named George Mueller, who was a prayer warrior. I want to tell you about another one, a guy named uh, Jeremiah Lampier. And uh, Jeremiah was born in uh, 1809, and he was a, uh, a tailor in New York City. So uh, pretty distant from anything any of us would experience. But he was a believer, and he felt called to start a prayer meeting downtown in the business district. And uh, knew God was calling him to do that. So he went out and he, he printed up a flyer uh, that asked, how often should I pray? He printed out hundreds of those and passed them out all over the city. And what he was saying is, let's get together every Wednesday at noon and let's pray for God to bring a revival. And uh, we're going to be at a small church downtown. And uh, so this would be at noon from 12 to 1. The first day, he was the only guy who showed up. And he thought, this is not a good start. Uh, but he was faithful. He prayed about halfway through the hour, five more guys walked in and they began to pray and they agreed they would try it again next week. So the next week there were 20 people there. The next week there were 40 there. And by the fourth week, they, they started a daily prayer time and the crowd began to grow in this small church. Now something big happened. In fact, there was a, um, a stock market crash about that time. Not a huge one, not the 20, 19, uh, 1929, but there was a stock market crash. And, uh, and that combined with the need for prayer, a revival sparked from there. And soon, these prayer meetings were being held all over the country, not just in New York and not just by Jeremiah, but all over the country as revival began to break out. And the revival was in evidence. Coast to coast, there were tens of thousands of converts. And over the next couple of years, there were over a million believers who were added to the churches across the United States. You know, this wasn't due to some amazing preacher or some mega church or any, anything like that. It was simply the, the, re, the result of effectual fervent prayer of righteous men and women, which the Bible says is powerful and effective. And in fact, this was the last great movement of God in our nation. Think about that in 1800, 1809 and 10, and it basically, I think, may be the last because of our inattention to prayer, because prayer is not a big part of our lives today. But I will tell you, looking back over time and through the history of revivals, there's never been a mighty movement of God when God did not call his people to prayer. So last week, we talked about prayer and uh, about the power of prayer and how that we're called to pray dangerous prayers. And I challenge you last week to pray some dangerous prayers so that God could do some great things because God doesn't just work in, in our mediocre prayers. He works in great prayers. And the reality is that most of us really, when we pray, we pray pretty safe prayers, right? Prayers that nobody's gonna argue with. We pray prayers like, God, uh, thank you for our food. Well, who's going to argue with that? God bless our food. Nobody's going to argue with that. Or God keep us all safe. Or God heal the sick. Nobody's going to argue with those safe prayers. I just found a dryer strip in my sleeve. That's, that's worth noting right there. 
something's peeking out. Like, what is going on here? All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Broke my train of thought. I bet yours too, right? All right. So most of us pray these really safe prayers, right? They're very comfortable. They're very encouraging. And we ought to pray that way, you know? We don't, let's stop, don't stop praying like that. But prayer is not supposed to be so passive and comfortable, right? Prayer's not supposed to be that easy and not that comfortable for us. It's supposed to challenge us. It's supposed to make us uncomfortable. It's supposed to send us out. And you know, that's what we see in the beginning of the church. We see the church begin to be motivated and moved by prayer, and they got out of their comfort zone. I want to read to you from Acts chapter 1, because this is when things really start rolling. And this was after the, the ministry of Jesus, when the church was about to begin. This was after his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And he had been showing himself to be alive to his disciples. He had been with them for 40 days. He had been encouraging them to carry on his mission just kind of building them up throughout his ministry. Remember, Jesus had been the initiator. He had been their leader. He had been the initiator of sharing the gospel. He had been the driver, the teacher. And now he was about to go into heaven. It was time for the disciples to take over. And they weren't ready. They weren't prepared like, you know, like a lot of us feel like we're not prepared either, right? So now it was time for them to step up. It was time for the church to begin. It was time for people to begin to see the kingdom of God coming to earth, not just Jesus' ministry, but something greater, he said. So he's going back into heaven and he explained to them. And this is what he said, or how Luke recorded in Acts chapter one. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the states the Lord, the Father has beset by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky where he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus whom you have been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus, this moment, he is with his disciples, the last interaction he'll have with them on this earth before his ascension. He gave them two basic instructions. Number one, he said, I want you, I want you to stay. I want you to stay, which sounds kind of odd, right? Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that God's going to promise. Now, when you think about this, it seems a little bit odd that Jesus would say, I'm going to leave you. I want you to stay. Just do nothing, right? Just wait, basically. If the mission was so important, why in the world would Jesus say, don't do anything yet? Just wait where you are. Just stay where you are for the moment. And the reason is because the time they were waiting was not wasted. The time they were waiting was time that was to be spent praying. And so they knew and they understood that. They all went back to Jerusalem. They went to an upstairs room and they started praying. And the Bible says that they all joined together constantly in prayer. And they met for two hours and it was great. No, wait, they didn't. They met for 10 days. 10 days they prayed. 
You know, we would be fortunate or lucky to get through a couple hours. You know, give us 20 minutes is hard for us. But for 10 days, they join together constantly in prayer. And at the time, at the end of that prayer time, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon them in a dramatic way. Again, the result of prayer. Peter went on to preach the first gospel sermon. You can read that recorded in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people were baptized in one day, and the church began. Things began to move. Why? Because they prayed. I mean, think about how unlikely this really was. They had been through this whole ordeal. Their leader was gone. They basically didn't have any clear leadership. Nobody had a plan. Nobody had a, 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 you know, a a working plan, business plan, how the church was going to start. They were all a little afraid for their own safety because they were thought they might be the next ones to be crucified. They were basically rough, uneducated, insecure, and vulnerable. But you know what? They were available. They were available, and they were praying, and that's what matters. You know, the angel had asked them when they saw Jesus going into the air, why are you standing here looking into the sky? Why are you just looking up there? Jesus is gone. Now it's time to get to work. The mission really starts right now. They thought the mission was over, but the mission was just starting. And the mission that we have today. But you know what? Their work, their mission began with prayer. Dangerous prayers that would send them into the world and oftentimes into danger. And we know or should know what the end uh, of their lives was like. They all were martyred for their faith. All of them, except one, had not a natural death, but he went through a great deal of persecution. But they gave their lives for this cause, for this mission, because they knew how important it was. So there was a commandment. Jesus said, I want you to wait. And then the second command that Jesus gave them was after wait and pray, then I want you to go. I want you to wait, pray, and go. And you know, I was thinking about this. We don't do very well with either one of these. We don't do well with praying or going, to be honest with you. We don't pray like we should. And when we do pray, our prayers are oftentimes kind of anemic and safe and pretty passive, you know, and nothing dangerous about them. We ask God to do his thing. God bless you for doing your thing. And we stop there usually. But Jesus said, I want you to pray. And then I want you to go do something. You know, I think that's wrong. Inactive Christian is a disobedient Christian. And a stationary church, a static church is a disobedient church. Because for far too long, to be honest with you, we have kind of sequestered ourselves in our church buildings. And we assume that people, if they're interested, they're going to come to us. But if you study the life of Jesus, he didn't wait in a church or even the synagogue. He went to them. He went to people. And he met them where they were. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, It says that Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. You know, earlier we read the last words of Jesus as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 1. We know that there are about three accounts of the great, what we call the Great Commission, but the best known one is really clear in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, where Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
Now, we have all read that. Many of us can even quote that from memory. But do we do it? That's the problem. We know it. We say it. We claim it, but we don't really do it. There's a problem with that. It's a lot easier to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field than it is to actually go. It's really easy to pray, God, please send somebody. But maybe we need to be more like, I believe, Isaiah, who said, Lord, send me. Send me, I'll go if you will send me. We need to do both. We need to pray, and then we need to go. You know, I was looking at the Great Commission And I noticed that there's a lot of action going on in the Great Commission. And I want to look at five action verbs in the Great Commission because they kind of, I believe, summarize what Jesus is saying. And the first is pretty obvious there, go. Jesus said go. Or what it really means is as you go. That's what the word really means, as you go. Because we go a lot, right? We go in a lot of different places. Remember, Jesus said to wait and pray, preparation, and then go. But going requires movement. It requires crossing barriers and boundaries, sometimes even our comfort zone as well. In Acts chapter 1, we read, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So they were to start by going back to Jerusalem, which was their home, not their hometown, but the city they were staying in. Then they were to go to Judea, which was the country in which they were living. And then they were to go to Samaria, which was the neighboring country. And then they were to go to the ends of the earth. Now, today, we know that some people are called to do that, right? Some people are called to go to the ends of the earth. They're going to go in some other country. Our son's son's in Hong Kong. Uh, We haven't seen him in three years. Haven't seen our granddaughter. We're looking forward to seeing him. That seems like the ends of the earth to me. Uh, But he's going to be here in June. Uh, They're going to be here in June, Lord willing. Um, but, but some people are called to do that. Uh, we don't feel like we are. Maybe you don't feel like that at the moment, but maybe you will at some point. But they're called to go to the ends of the earth. We support missionaries in India and Haiti and Africa, a Mideastern country, Europe, several U.S. missions. That seems like and is the ends of the earth. We send, we stay here, and we financially support them, and they go. But you know what? That doesn't exempt us from going because just because we don't go to Haiti or India or Europe doesn't mean that we can't go. In fact, let's take the Great Commission personally here to say that Versailles is our Jerusalem. It's our Jerusalem. Kentucky is our Judea. The United States is our uh, Samaria. And then there are some who will go to the other parts of the, of the earth and the far ends of the earth But others of us are going to stay here and we're going to work secular jobs like they did in Bible times, like you do, like most people do. And for us, it is as you go. You don't have to go to some other state, some other country to share the gospel. You go somewhere every day and wherever you go, that's where you need to be taking the gospel. As you go to work, as you go with your friends, as you go into your neighborhoods, but we have to go. That's the number one command. The second verb is make. It's not enough just to go. We have to do something. We have to have a purpose to make disciples. A disciple is a sold-out follower of Christ who's committed to living out his mission of multiplication. At Journey Church, we like to say it like this. We want to be disciples who make disciples. We are disciples who are making other disciples. Making is something that you do intentionally. You don't make something by accident unless it's a mess. You make a mess without trying, right? But anything else, you are intentionally doing that. And making something requires preparing, 
or educating yourself, that's where the prayer comes in. Prayer is preparing us and equipping us to go and to make disciples. You don't have to have a Bible college degree. You don't have to know every answer, the every question in the Bible. You just have to know Jesus. And when you know Jesus, now it's your mission and your call to go and make other disciples. Prayer helps us, prepares us to go do that. Prayer is seeking the Holy Spirit to empower us and convict the hearts of those people to whom we will go and hopefully make disciples of, because we're not on our own in this mission. Now, I don't know about you, but I can get pretty excited about joining God on His mission of making disciples. And one of the reasons why is because I know the option, the the alternative, without being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, without being a Christian, they're going to be lost for eternity. We got to understand that before the mission really becomes real to us. The next verb here in the Great Commission is to baptize. So the first step in making a disciple, literally on their part, is their response of baptism. Baptism is what brings us into the family of God. Once a person hears the gospel and believes the gospel and repents of their sins and, uh, and confesses that Jesus is Lord, then they are to be baptized. That's what Jesus said. After Jesus given his disciples a great commission and ascended into heaven, they waited and prayed, which then led them to experience the Holy Spirit come upon them. And then they began to tell other people about Jesus, and the people said, what do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism, as we said before, is the immersion of a repentant believer uh, for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This was a, a clear part of what Jesus said, I want you to go and do, make disciples. But you know what? The making of a disciple is not complete with baptism because it's very clear the next verb is teach. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. A baptized believer is, is a baby Christian in many ways and needs to be invested into and nurtured and encouraged in order for them to survive. Because you know what? The mortality rate of new Christians is pretty high sometimes especially when the church doesn't do its part to nurture, encourage, and grow and encourage and support a new believer. Faith in Christ is like a, is a lifelong process. It's not a here one and done thing. It begins with our decision to follow Jesus and continues until the day that we die. And so every one of us need to be taught and then turn around and teach others who are behind us on their spiritual journey. We don't have to be miles ahead, just a little bit ahead. With the knowledge that you know as a believer, you could help anyone else become a believer in Jesus. With all that you know as a Christian, because you already have that history, you have that behind you, you have that experience. That's how you make a disciple, and then maybe you grow together. And then the last verb in the Great Commission is the the word remember. Remember, Jesus said, I will be with you always. Never, ever forget that we are partners with Jesus on his mission. We are partnering with him hand in hand, and he is always with us, and he's our motivation as well. First Corinthians chapter 5 says, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live in themselves or for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So love is a compelling motivation that we have. Prayer is the fuel that gives us the courage and the power to go on. 
And we have to have prayer in our life in order for us to really have an awareness and a motivation to go forward. You know, just like Jesus called his disciples to go into their world, he calls us to go and, and to pray and to pray and then to go into our community and let them know. Last week, we talked a little bit about this effort that we're, we're, we're putting forth called Pray for Woodford. And basically what it is, is, is a challenge for us to pray for every home in Versailles, beginning with Versailles. And, and that's a big vision. Uh, I know there's over 5,000 homes. There's more being built every day, it seems like. And that's okay, because we can do it. And when we do, then we will expand our prayer area. So my home is not in Versailles right now, but that's okay. We're going to pray for Versailles first. We're going to start in our Jerusalem and then we'll go to Judea, and then we'll go beyond, all right? But we've got to start somewhere. So this is where we're going to kind of start, and, and then we'll expand from there. I'm asking you and challenging you to pray, and then go and let people know that you prayed for them. And I'll, I'll tell you how we're going to do that. I'm asking you to pray and walk. Some of you already walk. I know you do that. Bless your hearts. That's good for you, you know? But maybe you just need to add prayer to your walking. Some of you are praying, but maybe you're not out there walking and letting anybody know about it, all right? So maybe you just need to put those two together. Together, we can do this. I know that. I know that we can accomplish this. I would like for us to pray for every home in Versailles this spring, summer, and fall. We're not going to ask you to do it in the middle of winter, all right? Uh, but, but, but while you're out, while you're walking, we're, we're going to try to do this. We're going to pray, and we're going to leave a door hanger. So we've got these hangers that are very, pretty cool looking. And we're just going to stick this on someone's door. We're not asking you to knock on the door. We're not asking you to bug them. We're not asking you to do anything. We're asking you to pray for them. Amen. Just pray for them and leave this. And then there's ways for theirs as a QR code. They can, they can know more about our church and they can seek uh, personal prayers. And this will lead to more opportunities. This will impact our culture and our community. I have no doubt about that at all. Pray for their needs, but also touch them with the love of Christ and open the door for them to come to know Jesus. That is going to be a powerful thing. Now, the way that we're going to do this, we have a map out in the lobby that we just put up. It's a map of Versailles. We're asking you to adopt your street. There's a list of, of um, street names out there. We're asking you to sign your name and your email on that. Tony's going to be out to help you uh, after the service, between services and after the service. And, uh, and once we have streets that are adopted for you to pray, we'll, we'll, and they're prayed for, we'll kind of mark that, that street off. And one more thing we're asking you to do. There are some little blue pins. We're asking you to take those pins and put them where you live. That doesn't obligate you to anything. It just says, we'd like to know where people live. And it's a great way for us to do that. So let's just stick those pins in. It won't take you but a second to do that. It'll be great to see where everybody lives and how we can cover our community in prayer. And those of us who live out of town, don't feel left out. We'll get to you a little bit later, all right? And I'm going to challenge you to do it. We're going to begin, we're going to do a blitz. We're going to do this in different ways. You don't have to do it in any time, organized time. We're asking you to do this on your own and let us know that, you're, that, it's, that it's done, all right? But this Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, we're going to meet here, and then we're going to go into some areas and pray. That's kind of a blitz. We'll do some of these blitzes throughout the summer, spring, and fall. But you also can do them independently. You don't have to do them in an organized way. But this Saturday at 10, meet here. It's going to be a beautiful day. No snow, I promise. And it's going to be a great day. You know, I know that God's calling us to do that. I know this is two things that I believe that God's calling us to do, to pray for our community 
and go into our community and give them opportunity to know who Jesus is, all right? And I expect that God's going to do some amazing things through prayer. Now, I want to share a story with you from, uh, from my past where I saw the power of God in a, an amazing way uh, through a church. And uh, this happened in 1988. And that's, I know that's a long time ago for some of you, uh, but I'll never forget this. In 1988, I was a young minister up in uh, southern Indiana. And I went to a church there. It was a rural church. It was surrounded by cornfields. Uh, it was uh, basically a community, basically a family church. Everybody was uh, um, related in the church. And I was there a couple of years. And then we began to do something every Monday at noon. Every Monday at noon, we would meet in what was called the upper room. And it was a, a second-story room over top of a Bible bookstore there in Salem, Indiana. Still, still there. Bookstore still there. I'm sure the room's still there, but they call it the upper room. And so our leaders, our elders would meet there every Monday and pray, 12 to 1. Uh, we would pray together for our people. We'd pray for, for the church. And one, one Monday in August, we were meeting in that room. We were praying. And I remember so clearly, I don't even know who prayed the prayer. I'd like to think it was me, but it was probably somebody else. But they said, Lord, please take us to the next level. God, we want to do something great in our community, in our church. So God, whatever it takes, take us to that next level and move us to where you want us to be. I remember that prayer so clearly. I was moved by it. I thought, what is God going to do? That's a, that's a dangerous prayer when you think about it. So understand, this was a church that was over 150 years old. It stood in one place for many, many, for many, many years. And, uh, and we're asking God to do something with it, do something new. Well, nothing happened for two hours, but about two o'clock that, that afternoon, uh, we, we were lived right close to it, about two o'clock in the afternoon, there was a freak storm that moved in, and there was one bolt of lightning that struck, and you might know where that bolt of lightning struck. It struck dead center of that old church that had stood there for 150 years, and the lightning struck that church, and we thought... Well, we're not even sure where it hit for a while, but then a little bit of smoke started coming out the eve of that church. And the neighbors called and said, I think the church is on fire. And everybody's like, it's about time the church got on fire, you know, but, but we joked about it for a little bit, but pretty soon we realized the church was on fire. And by dark, there was nothing left of that church that was over knee high. It was just burned so fast, dry, dry. I mean, you know, people were shocked. They were stunned. I mean, we all were. It's just like, wow, that, nobody expected that. But we should have expected because we prayed a pretty dangerous prayer. God, do something, move us. And so he did. And suddenly we didn't even have a church building, which was horrible. I mean, for a lot of people, that, that was a difficult thing. But you know what? God took that and God moved that. And within the next eight years, the church tripled and began to reach far beyond where it ever had before. And I believe totally... I don't believe in conf, uh, uh, coincidences and something like that. I know God did that, no doubt about it. Man, but we asked for it. It was a dangerous prayer. It was the power of prayer. And I've seen God answer prayer a lot of other times, but that is the most dramatic thing I've ever seen God do in a short period of time to answer a prayer that we made, that we just threw it up to God and said, God, we want your will to be done. I don't want God to build, burn this building down, all right? But if it takes that for, to light a fire under us, it'd be worth it, right? Whatever God's will might be. And I believe God's calling us to prayer and to do something great for Him. And I believe that we're going to see some powerful results from our prayer. 
And, and I want to tell you, prayer has a way of changing things. And you know where prayer starts? It starts with us. It starts with us. We probably change first. We'll be the first thing that we'll notice that will change. Because as you walk and pray, you're going to find that God's going to open your mind and your heart and your eyes to see the city from his perspective. You're going to start seeing people from God's perspective. The homes that you've driven by for years are suddenly become, become, become more personal as you think about and you pray for the people who live there. And you're going to notice as you drive by, they got little kids and you're going to pray for their kids or they got a new driver. You know, and you're going to start praying for that. Or they, they've got older people living in that home. And you're going to realize that God is using you to intercede for the people that you're praying for. And you're not going to look at that street the same anymore. Because you're going to realize that you're on a mission. You're doing something bigger than you that really matters in the etern- for eternity. And you're going to have the Holy Spirit riding or walking with you. And you're going to bring salt and light to dark places. Who knows what God's going to do? through our prayers. We can't even imagine that because we're going to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit into people, families, neighborhoods, and communities. And guys, we can expect some spiritual strongholds of sin and bondage in people's lives are going to come down. And believers, as we intercede for people, for their families, for their salvation, their spiritual, their physical health, their needs, we're going to see things happen. We can anticipate and expect that because this is a lot bigger than we are. It really is. Now, one more thing, one thing I'm going to ask you to do. Last week, we passed these out. We had several turned in, but I want to challenge you to get on board with us and fill this card out. There should be one in the seat there beside you. Fill this out. Give us your name and your email. This is how we'll communicate with you about how things are going. We will update as we go, but I'm excited about what God's going to do. Please fill that card out. And you can put it in the little boxes in the back. There's one by each door. This is big. This is something God's going to do and move in us. And I'm excited to be a part about it. I want to invite you to be a part about it as well. Guys, we're going to wrap up. And let me just say this, that we have this ability to go to God in prayer because we have a relationship with him. And that comes only through Jesus Christ, only through Jesus. And every one of us are invited into that and invited to come to him. And if you have never given your life to Christ, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. We're going to go now to a time of response. I'm going to be up front. Tony will step up. Zach, maybe you can step up here as well. And uh, and we have uh, have interceders who will be joining us as well up, up front to pray with you. But guys, I want to challenge you. Let's pray for this effort. Let's ask that God's in it. I believe it's honoring to God. I believe it accomplishes the mission and values and the purpose of our church. And I think God's going to do something great with it. So I want to challenge you to do that. If you want to come up and spend some time in prayer, if you want somebody to pray with you, we'll be up here. Let's go to God. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for your holy word that challenges us, instructs us. Father, thank you for this freedom and this invitation and this privilege of prayer. God, may we be a praying people because we know that you move through prayer. Your Holy Spirit is activated through prayer, God. You do and move as your people pray. So God, we come today and we lift these prayers up in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and worship him.